Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah, Amen. God is good. Well, I'm grateful for what Jesus has done in my life. Can you say amen to that in your life? Are you grateful today? Do you have a gratitude that wells up in your heart when we remember what we deserved and what we received? Wow. I have nothing to boast in today except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Amen? But we can sure boast in Him for what He's done for us. And Lord, we thank You today at the end of this series on the importance of connecting in community. That You would remind us, Lord, that we're not just a holy huddle. That You've called us to be on a mission, part of a movement to change and redeem the world and there are not just hundreds of us, or thousands, or hundreds of thousands, or even millions. There's a couple billion believers. And we pray, oh God, that that light and salt would permeate the darkness and continue to redeem the world. We ask it in, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together, Amen. Amen. We were made, the Word of God says, for a mission. We were called for a mission. Jesus in John 17, if you'll put that up, He says in His high priestly prayer to the Father, He said, Father, in the same way, You gave me a mission. You gave them. You gave me a mission and You gave them a mission. And he prayed for us, if you recall, in that high priestly prayer to complete that mission as he has completed his. And Paul, in Acts 20, picked up that same theme as he says, the most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me. He knew he had been called and he wanted to complete the mission that God had given him, that Christ had given him. Have you ever wondered how Jesus knew about his mission from the very start? How, how you know, he was all about it. He, in the temple, you remember, he was 12 years old and, oh, come on in. Uh, he, was, uh, he was 12 years old and, and uh, he wasn't in children's church, was he? He wasn't in children's church. Who was he talking to? He had the elders amazed. They had never heard uh, of, of anything like it. They were spellbound. From the very start, he, he clearly understood his mission on earth. And he said, I must be about my father's mission. He knew it. He was all about it. Well, it wouldn't it be wonderful, great, if, if we had that kind of clarity. And he lived his life that way with a, a, a recognition of the mission. That, that he had been given by the Father. And, and so on that last day, 20 plus years later from the temple, he could say on the cross, it's finished. I've completed the work that thou hast given me to do. 
Wouldn't it be great if we had that kind of, of clarity in our spiritual lives? But we don't. Isn't that true? We just don't. It would be great to have that kind of clarity, but if we're honest, we don't. We're not Jesus. And we don't have that kind of clarity. We live, don't we, in a complicated world. It's, it's overwhelming sometimes, and it isn't easy. It, it, we find ourselves, don't we, getting caught in the backwash of it all and either lashing out in hostility or, or cocooning in fear. My daughter and her husband are out west uh, doing travel nursing and they, they move from place to place and they were traveling and they saw on the side of this barn, if you'll put it up, they saw this farmer printed in bold language on the side of his barn, anyone who isn't confused really doesn't understand the situation. I mean, he felt strongly about it. And he was basically saying, if you ain't a little confused, something's wrong with you. I remember uh, a Peanuts uh, comic strip that I particularly like with uh, Charlie Brown is in this deep philosophical discussion with her, his, his sister Lucy, and it's gotten into a debate on the state of the world, and they're going back and forth and arguing back and forth, and finally, in the last frame, Lucy screams, she just blurts out, I love humanity! It's people I can't stand. <laughs> we get caught, don't we? in that dichotomy between loving the world and hating the world. We're, 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 it's a confusing world. If anyone uh, isn't confused, they don't rightly really get the situation. There's a lot of confusing things in the world right now. What is the church to do? Not just this church, every church. The church of Jesus Christ to do. Are we to cocoon behind the, the walls of the church and pull up the drawbridge uh, because we're threatened by this post-Christian culture? Beloved, the church has always existed in a post-Christian culture. It's always been a pagan. We don't get it. Christians has always been a, a, a vital minority, not the majority. Do we cocoon behind the walls of the church threatened? Or do we go the opposite direction? Go toe-to-toe -to -toe with them, fight fire with fire, vanquishing our adversaries? A wise Christian said, Beware, lest in your attempt to slay the dragon, you become the dragon. You pick up, in other words, the same spirit that you're attempting to eradicate. 
It's not, beloved, the way of our Lord Jesus. It's not by our might or power. Who are we, who are we fooling that we could bring change? No, Lord Jesus, how would you have us as the church, as a body, your body influence the world? Why don't we look at what Jesus told his disciples, he directed his disciples to do when they were in the backwash, lost in a pagan world. Jesus, their Savior, had been arrested and subsequently crucified. Turn with me to Acts, the first chapter in your Bible or the one found in front of you. Acts 1. And forgive me if I use a, a sports illustration, but what Jesus did at that point when they were confused and overwhelmed in the backwash of this pagan world, what did he do? He basically called a timeout and told them, let's huddle. Let's huddle up, verse 4 of Acts 1. And he gathered them together and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Settle. Settle. Clear your heads. Don't run around like a, a chicken with your head cut off. It's very important that you're led and not driven in these uncertain days. What did he tell them? He told them not to leave Jerusalem. And he told them to wait for what the Father had promised. You don't need to be led simply by your feelings or your fears just now. I know it's overwhelming. But despite what you feel or fear, there is a plan. Wait, he says, for what the Father has promised and which you have heard from me. In other words, there's a plan. Can you say amen to that? Even though we don't always know the plan, clearly there is a plan. God is in His heaven. He is still on His throne. He's not wringing His hands, walking around, oh my, oh my. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then it seems like the, the disciples interrupt him and say, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom? They, they, they jump in there in their anxiety and their fear, perhaps. And it's revealing how Jesus answered them. He said, It's not for you to know. It's not for you to know. 
the times or the seasons which the Father has fixed by His own authority. It isn't to be the focus of your concern. Why? Because I don't even know, says Jesus in another place. I don't even know the day or the hour. Don't be, don't be diverted. It isn't to be the, the chief focus and your concern. What is to be your focus and concern is verse 8. Receiving the power of the Holy Spirit and becoming my witnesses. See, that's the, that's the focus. Isn't it interesting? Jesus puts all the focus <coughs> on receiving the power and being his witness. And let me ask you a question. Let's pause for a minute. Does Jesus say there that he wants them just to verbally witness? What do you think? Does he want them simply to verbally witness? Tell me. He says, be my witnesses. It's worth pondering for a minute. What's the difference between witnessing and being, being the witness? It's okay. Anybody got an idea? It's all right to talk in church, isn't it? You, you have to not say it, okay? Anybody else? Anybody? It's okay. What's that? What do you say? Answer the call. Answer the call. Hey, look, I got some. Joseph, thank you. I got some hearing problems. Hey, I got to tell you real quick how I got a hearing problem in that ear. Now, this is a true story. It's a lie. It's the truth. We had just finished. We'd gone on our honeymoon. And we came back a couple uh, days early. And, and we were just going to, you know, relax, get ready for work. And we went to play a racquetball. My wife isn't very big, but she is vicious. <laughs> and we're playing racquetball, a friendly game with newlyweds. She filled up my ear with the ball. I mean, I, I just turned a little bit and whack. I am walking around dazed, don't know what's going on, and I realize that blood is coming out of my ear. My eardrum has been ruptured. And so I say, where is my wife? I can't find her. And I look around, and where is she? She's on another court playing with somebody else. I had to knock on the door and say, honey, we may need to go to the hospital. Okay, well, I did. I, it's true. I did leave the court, and somebody else came. That's true. I left the court, and somebody else. Okay, but there's good news. God works for good in all things because I have some hearing loss in that ear. And for the rest of our married life, I've used it saying, honey, you remember. You remember. I... It's been worth it, I can tell you. It's worth it. But Joseph, you'll probably still have to help me. So anyway, the difference between 
just witnessing. And yes, we're called to witness. We are called to be courageous and to share the hope that's within us. But beloved, we're called to be the witness, to incarnate in some way the witness, not just to use words. There have to be some deeds. You'll be surprised to find out that in the book of Acts, the word martura or witness is used three times as many to one of, of Three times to one, it's talking about the community, the Christian community in Jerusalem was a witness in the way they conducted themselves with each other, in the way they served outsiders, in the way they cared for the poor and orphans and widows. They were the witness. They didn't just have words. Words are cheap if they're not followed by actions. And isn't it interesting that Jesus simply says those three words, they're very heavy, the weight, be my witnesses. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't specifically tell us what to do to be the witness? You have any ideas? Why didn't he spell it out? What do you think? Any ideas? We get legalistic about it. You're not doing... Okay, that's a good one. I'm sorry. There are many different ways. We need to be... What if the situation arises that wasn't on the list? I'm glad all y'all right at the front. I appreciate that. I'm sorry. You're not real if you're following a script. You, you have to be led. And it's a heart thing. This isn't a legalistic thing. This has to be from the heart because what changes a heart is a heart. It's got to be an incarnational thing that the Holy Spirit is doing. And it's got to be mediated in thousands of ways if it's going to affect uh, a community. The Holy Spirit had to lead them. And it had to be something that was genuine from the heart. And I want you to think, each one of you, in your own life, right now, for a minute. What is it that God's given you a heart for? What is it that God, when, when you see it on TV or a need somewhere, that your heart responds to? What is it, in, in the, either in the body or in the world, that, that when you see that, that you, you, what, what are some of those things? Can you just raise your hand? And, uh, homelessness, okay. The children in Africa suffering. Okay, our, our Christian brothers and sisters martyred many. To tell them that Jesus is coming back soon. What, what, what else? The lost people. Uh, you know, we care. Something motivates when we see a lost child or a lost sheep. We're, we're moved. Anything else comes to mind? Refugees. The Syrian refugees, yes. Uh, uh, people who are caught in addictions and, and, and bondage. It's destroying them. I'm sorry? Absolutely. 
So we've got all kinds of things. And I, I wrote to the lost, mission, the hurting, widow, orphan, bereaved. God made poor, the poor, hungry, homeless, the brokenhearted, wounded, abused children, infirm, those lonely. See, God puts different things in our hearts to be led, to be part of our incarnating the witness. And He uses that somehow in, in our gift mixing to, to be a witness. And when we step out on that, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus somehow changes hearts. It doesn't take much, but it has to be from the heart. It's got to be an action. Be my witnesses. Wherever you have a sphere of influence, infiltrate the, the culture. That's how we conquer in, in love, not by our might or power, but by the Spirit, says the Lord. Historically, brothers and sisters, the church has had the most influence, not when it was in power, but when it was under persecution, as Michael said last week. We, when we're persecuted, it purifies the church. It, it actually leads us back to our roots, to the essentials of what changed the world. You see, in the Bible, read it, 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 it never portrays the early church as a super majority throwing around its weight and intimidating and posturing and threatening to crush opponents. It's the world's way. And politically, we must be circumspect, beloved, lest we pick up the same spirit that is in the world. Can you say amen to that? We should not have the same spirit. We are in the world, but not of the world. We, we need to vote. We need to be involved. But not with the wrong spirit, says the Lord. Because we pick up the wrong spirit. We must war. But the weapons of our warfare, brothers and sisters, are not of this world. Lest we, in an attempt to slay the dragon, become the dragon. Jesus prayed to the Father and said, Thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the arrogant. And you reveal them to babes. You see, there's a, another way. The early church wasn't a, a, a super majority. They were a vital minority influencing the society radically because of what? They were following the ways of Jesus. They were doing the deeds of Jesus. You see, they would come together in, in holy huddles in various places. And again, like it, it was like a football team in a sense. Yeah, a football team huddling together. They huddled together in the upper room. And they took hands and they were shoulder to shoulder, even as a, a football team, knowing that they were in a battle, a real battle. This was real. And they reminded each other with the, the, their presence and, 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 and next to one another of, 
of who they were and what they're, uh, they were about. They'd each been given in, in the huddle a mission and a role. Each had a different role, but all had the same purpose. And you see what happens in the, in the huddle, beloved, is crucial to the outcome of the game, but the game was not won in the huddle, but out on the field. You see, they, they were to infiltrate, break. They were to leave the huddle and infiltrate the world for the kingdom. They were to scatter, each having a role, a different role. None looking or even acting the same, but having the same spirit and the same goal. Jesus in Matthew 5 said, be salt and light. This is how we're going to change the world. Influence. You know, I was thinking this week, what, what's common? He threw salt and light together. What's, what do they have in, in common? It's their influence. They both influence way beyond the, their size. You think about the smallest amount of, of salt does what in the whole lump? It leavens the whole lump. It affects the whole lump. The smallest amount of light can banish the foreboding of the darkness and fear and self-preservation. Something so small, Jesus is saying, seemingly insignificant, can have such a big impact. If. If what? If it's not hidden. If it's not hidden. If it's not hidden in a lamp under a bushel. If it's not, the salt is not left on the shelf, but it's shared. And we may say, well, I just have a small light, or I just have a little salt. Jesus is saying, it, it will influence, it will make a difference. And as you share it, you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we huddle, beloved, and then we break huddle. We gather and, and we're scattered. Jesus gathered 12 and then he scattered them as salt and light and they changed think about it they changed the entire world history the whole history of humankind has been changed all the way up to you right now one after another after another after another On Pentecost, 120 gathered in the, the upper room for prayer. And then they scattered to the streets of Jerusalem and were salt and light where needed. You see, beloved, the church is not, it's in a club. It's not a club. It's a community on a mission. We're on, we're a movement. And it will go on in whatever form until the end of the age. Isn't that good news? If the opportunity of salvation will be there. 
for those who choose it. I'm going to close, but let's get practical. What do you have to do to have impact, to have influence? Two things. You can say, well, gosh, I don't, I'm not all that smart and I'm not great and I'm not this, I'm not rich, I'm not articulate, I'm not whatever. We, we can say we're not, but w what do you need? What do you have to have to have influence? Two things. You got to show up. You got to show up for the game. Your teammates, they need you. We've got to get off the shelf. We've got to share it and we'll get more. Wherever, share it wherever. The light and the salt. To have influence, we've got to show up. We don't have to be great. We just have to be willing. And second, we've got to care. Why? Because nothing happens until somebody cares. Can you say amen to that? Nothing happened in your life until somebody cared enough to see you. To bring Jesus to you. I don't know how it happens, but in the sincerity of their heart, they brought Jesus. They incarnated. He, by the Holy Spirit, He came and it was empowered. And somehow it, it stirred something in you that changed your heart. And you were never the same. What they did for you, we can do for others. We don't have to be a great, you know, all these points. We just have to care and have a heart to care. You know, compassion for others will liberate you and me from our obsession with ourselves. They'll liberate us from the fear of, oh my goodness. You know, if you go out in love, you will be received and you will be needed. We can build bridges. And God says, Jesus said, you'll receive power when you do it. Not when you talk about it, but when you, when you do it. If any man, John 7, 17, is willing to do God's will, he'll know experientially if it's from God or from a man. You'll know because you'll receive power to be my witnesses. You know, there's, in closing, there's a, a young lady who was going to share today, and I'm going to ask Pastor Ron Routon to come, uh, but she was going to share today. She's with us in Celebrate Recovery, 40 years old. She couldn't be here, so I, I'm going to share just quickly. She, half her life has been spent in drug addiction, 20 years. Crack, crystal meth all kinds of horrible things. She's gone from one treatment program to the next. And she was going to die. And finally, one day, she was going back to the methadone clinic. And she met a man there who looked into her eyes, beloved, not just like anybody else. And he said to her, this is not who you are. You're worth more than this. I see you. And God sees you. And He cares about you. And God began to change that woman's life. And Luke Sampson brought her to celebrate recovery. 
And, and, and she met a girl named Meg there who said, you know, you're more than this. This isn't who you are. And God somehow entered that and, and empowered it. And her life was changed. Two years she's been clean and sober. And, and this is the kicker on it. This is what I love about it. She loves the Lord. She knows that she's been delivered and saved. But the coolest thing I found out, and she would never want me to share this, but I found out she lost her license because of uh, her uh, alcohol and, and drug abuse. And she has a little business, but on Saturdays, she pays someone to give her a ride to First Fruit Ministries so that she can volunteer so that she can say and look in somebody else's eyes and say, this isn't who you are. You're more than this. Can we give glory to God for that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Ron. Before we have communion, just Ron and Florence, uh, you know, there are simple ways that we can just reach out to people and show them that we, we care. And God somehow multiplies the fish and the loaves. Can you give him that uh, microphone, Michael? He multiplies the fish and loaves, and, and somehow uh, God meets us there. Ron, come and, come and share with us. Blessings. Thank you. Well, you, would, you might expect you to, be able to give this powerful illustration just before I come up here, because I don't have anything like that. <laughs> uh, there's three things that informs my life. One is the sovereignty of God. Second is, that's what I believe in, the sovereignty of God. I believe that God loves his creation. I believe that God loves people. The third thing is I believe God wants to use me. Those three things inform my life. Now, we have three mission fields, my wife and I. One is our neighborhood. One is uh, the stores we go into, the restaurants we frequent. And the third one is the nursing home that I speak in uh, each month. So those three things. Now, how does the sovereignty of God work in those three things? One of the sovereignty of God, I'm living where I'm supposed to live. I have a, I have a friend that has on her uh, wrist the tattoo, I'm right, you're, you're right where you're supposed to be. Every one of us here are right where we're supposed to be. So in my neighborhood, I believe I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Uh, now, we moved 10 times, and every time, every, for 10 times, we were right where we were supposed to be at the time we got there. Hmm. So we decided, what can we do to meet our neighbors? So the first thing we said, well, why don't we uh, form a lunch bunch where we go out once a month and have lunch together? So about 20 of us will go out each month. We'll pick a different restaurant. The Lord will return before we go to all the restaurants in Wilmington, I'm sure. <laughs> so we go to a different restaurant every month. The men sit with the men because men talk about different things than women do. The women sit with the women. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we first started going out, it's, it's about eight men, about 12 women, something like that. When we first started going out, no one would pray. And one day I said, why don't we have grace? And we, they said, okay. So I prayed. Whenever we go out now, they would never think of eating without having grace. And I said, let's hold hands and have grace. <laughs> so eight men holding hands around the table having grace. Hmm. So it was just a way of getting, and we don't, we don't talk about religious things. We talk about weather. We talk about the politics. We talk about a variety of things. So that was one thing we did. It's just a way to get to know people. Now, when we meet people, I do not believe in an agenda. I think people can determine if you got an agenda. I don't believe in an agenda. 
Uh, I don't even want to try to, I'm not trying to convert anyone. I can't convert. Only God can do that. I don't even think about witnessing. I just want to be friendly. So whenever I meet someone, it's just to be friendly. I could tell you a story, and the couple's in this room right now. When we first came to this church, the new member class took 12 weeks. In the first week, I got in a heated discussion. You might call it an argument with one other couple. Mm. And uh, I took a stand, and they took a stand, and there was no, no there was, Twain was not going to meet. Uh, they did not come back the next week. They didn't come back the next week. I thought we'd driven away from this church. The fourth week, third or fourth week, they came back. So at the end of that uh, week, I said, uh, let's go out to lunch together. So we went down the blue water. They were running late because they'd received a call just before they left the house from one of their kids. And so when they got there 15 minutes late, they apologized. But the next thing out of her mouth is, what are you about and what are you selling? First thing I know about, what are you about and what are you selling? Not a very good way to start a, a friendship. So I said, I'm not selling anything. I just want to be friendly. Mm-hmm. She said, I was hoping you'd say that. I would say of all the people in this church, probably they're our closest friends right now. Mm-hmm. 15 years later. Mm-hmm. 15 years later. Thank you. Now, so we started a small group in our neighborhood. And we got around nine people to come. And uh, it went on for two and a half years. One person moved. Some people got sick. One has Parkinson's. The other one has uh, heart disease. And so we had to break that up. So we said, what can we do? What we can we do to reach our neighbors at another level? So I wrote a letter three weeks ago. And uh, I can read it to you. I don't know whether I need to or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what it says, and all of us can write letters to our neighbors. It says, uh, dear friends and neighbors, Florence and I were talking recently, and, and I made the statement, we can't be the only ones that are getting older. Sure enough, as I looked around, it seems like there are a lot of people who that are also aging. And as someone has so eloquently stated, old age ain't for sissies. <laughs> we enjoy every day and look forward to every event that presents itself but our aches and pains are on the increase and seem to be an ever-increasing part of our conversation. Some of our health conditions can become depressing, downright scary, or the very least frustrating. Then then one could add to this list family concerns. As we talked, Florence and I felt that we should make ourselves available to anyone that has a need for conversation or prayer. This is not an attempt to get anyone to go to our church or any church. Speaking at an independent care nursing home each month, I see people who are desperate for people to carry on some meaningful adult conversation. We would never want to intrude in anyone's life, but there are, things, there are times we all need a listening ear. Thankfully, most of us have family and friends, but perhaps there are some of us who don't. We love where we live, and we love being close to many of the wonderful residents of Stratton Village. So should you ever be in need of conversation or prayer, Please consider giving one of us or both of us a call. We will go to your home where you can come to ours. We certainly don't have many of the answers to life, but we do know the one who does. With our thoughts and love, Ron and Florence Routon, I gave my home phone number, our cell number, and our email address. Six people have called me since I got that letter. <laughs> wow. Six people. One of them was Jewish. 
and she said, what a wonderful thing to do. Mm, yeah. Another one to remind us the time we went down and prayed with her when she was very sick and she's well and she's healed now. So that's one thing. Now, in a restaurant, you, you have to know, you have to build a relationship. Whenever I go into a restaurant, I always ask the, uh, the person serving us, what is your name? So I can call them by name rather than, hey, you. It means that, so whenever I speak to the person, I always use their name when I speak to them. Whenever I see someone that has a tattoo, I always ask them, what is the meaning of that tattoo? We were out at uh, Southern Thai on Friday night. There was a young lady there that had a two t tattoo. I said, what's the meaning of that tattoo? And she sat down and talked just about the tattoo. Uh, I saw another one. I was uh, another place, and a man had a, a pretty huge man, had a tattoo of a number on one elbow and another 88 on one elbow, 92 on the other. And I said, what are the meaning of those two numbers? He said, one of my children was born in 88, one was born in 92. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a, a person will, whenever I'm in a doctor's office, an optometrist's office, I've got a friend, and uh, I will say to him, uh, first came out when I saw his family, I always said, what a beautiful family. How old are they now? And he'll tell me. I said, oh, and he, then he'll say, we're not married anymore, and I'm dating someone else. Mm -hmm. I went back six months later, they'd broken up, and he was devastated. So now whenever I go, First thing out of my mouth is say, Doctor, how's your love life? How's your life? <laughs> now, I've never said that to anyone in my neighborhood. I go, couldn't say, how's your love life in the neighborhood? But for this doctor, whenever I'm with him, I say, how's your love life? Florence and I love to eat out, and we sometimes we don't want to eat a full meal. We just want to get appetizers. There is a restaurant that we go to. I won't tell you where. And they have a bar, and we go to the bar because people are always willing to talk in bars. And that's where we get appetizers. We'll get, uh, we love oysters, Rockefeller, and we love crab dip and all that sort of stuff. We've gotten to know the bartender. He knows us by name when we walk in. And every time I see him, because of previous conversations, I'll say, so-and-so, how's your love life? Yeah. And he, he shares with me what's going on. Yeah. And he wants to take my wife and I on the boat with he and his girlfriend. So... It's, I'm not trying to set up an agenda. I'm not trying to build a relationship. I'm, I'm trying to build a relationship that gives me the right to talk later on. Amen. So even when I say I don't want to uh, take you to my church or any church, that will come around later on. Yeah. But that's not what I'm going there. I just want to be friendly with people. Amen. So, uh, and I can give you a lot of other illustrations, but you get the idea. It's just, it's just doing that. I remember one, one last one, we were in Walmart. And uh, I think when young people see an older person with gray hair and they've got a lot of tattoos, they immediately think you're judging them. And this lady was looking down. And she had her name, and I talked her by name, said, what is the meaning of those tattoos? They're beautiful. We started up a conversation. She followed us from the store. I'm afraid she'll get fired because she almost follows out of the store talking to us because the conversation just kept rolling. So it's, it's just really, it's really build a relationship and then earn the right to be heard. And it's amazing what the Lord will do. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Ron, I want to give you a compliment. I won't tell you who said it, but, uh, they said of you, they said, it was a young person, they said, he's old, but he's really cool. <laughs> that's, about as, that's about as good as you can get, I think. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, as Pastor Steve comes to lead us in communion. Uh, Lord, remind us, nothing 
nothing happens until someone cares. And we thank you that you cared for us, uh, went to the cross for us, and that caused salvation to happen. Use this communion meal in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a holy moment when Jesus gathered with his disciples and really gave the supreme illustration of how to live. Whereas he was eating with his disciples, he took bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And similarly, he took the cup after he had eaten with his disciples and pouring it out, said, This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. As you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. If you think about what Jesus did, he was illustrating something that he was about to go to a cross and offer his body and have his blood poured out for the purpose of redeeming men and women from their sin. He has done that for you. And in turn, he asked us to go and to share his love and his life uh, with others. Father, thank you for these elements that you have given to us, common though they are, bread and juice. They represent the very body and the very blood of Jesus given for us. Today, as we consume these elements, God, would you allow us to touch afresh the real presence of Jesus in our lives. Lord, each of us have specific needs. Each of us have specific gifts and talents and personality structures. But all that we are today, we offer it back to you and ask that you would empower us. Lord, that you would release your spirit in a fresh manner within each one of us so that as Jesus illustrated the giving of his life so we might lay down our lives for one another and for also for those whom we meet we praise you in advance and we give you thanks in the name of Jesus today we're going to come forward for communion and I'm going to begin with those in the balcony if you'd like to begin to come and make your way now from the balcony, that would be appreciated. We're going to form uh, two lines around each of the small tables. Take some time as you're coming, as you're waiting, to prepare your hearts. Jesus is in the house. We will be available to pray for any of you who would like special prayer after uh, you receive the elements. Serve yourselves when you are ready. Allow the balcony to come and then you fill in the line as it seems right. Let's worship and continue to allow Jesus to touch our lives for his glory. <laughs> 